the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. On September 27, 2023, Google celebrated its 25th anniversary. They started on the same day back in 1998 in the garage of a home on a nice suburban street in Menlo Park. As it happens, three doors down from my parents' house, who were none the wiser. Apparently, the Google operation was very quiet. They stayed quiet for a while, but two years later decided to go out for their first encounter with the media. And so it was on April 11th in the year 2000, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the co-founders of Google, dressed up in their nice clothes, came to KQED in San Francisco and the studio of TechNation to their very first radio interview. At the time, there were three major Internet search engines, all publicly traded, all with flashing advertisements, all with beautiful Silicon Valley buildings with their names emblazoned on them, and lots of press coverage. So, who needed another entry in the search engine market? Now roll back your minds to that time when dot-coms were booming and the widespread use of the Internet was new. The only point I want to refresh you on is Sergey's reference to HAL, the HAL 9000 computer from the 1968 movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, if you remember that film. And now, that interview. Stanford graduate students Larry Page and Sergey Brin wrote a search engine on the World Wide Web which incorporated their graduate research. The result has become Google, a fast and very different Internet search engine. I commented to them that if there's one thing we all associate with the Web, it's fast-moving color computer graphics. In fact, the look and feel of the web has been so impressive, it's actually influenced the look and feel of television. I wondered, how important is color and graphics and movement to a successful website? The most important thing about the web to me uh, is not all the color and the graphics and the flashing GIFs and things like that. Uh, the most important thing to me is that, say, 10 years ago when I wanted to know something, you know, maybe obscure about a topic or just I wanted to get in-depth information about anything, I would have had to go to the library uh, nearby and maybe I would find something there, maybe not. But the most powerful thing about the web today is that now, to any question almost, you can have your answer in seconds. And that's, that's what it does to me, not the graphics, not the flashing lights. Well, it is interesting the first time I went out and checked out Google. I mean, where were all the pictures and the flashes and the this and the sign-up and the banners? And It's a completely different look. Yeah, that's that's been deliberate. I mean, we really wanted to. We're actually measuring how long it takes people to find what they want. And we try to minimize that amount of time. So instead of, you know, the other websites try to keep you on their website, you know, as long as possible. At Google, we try to minimize that time. And so the graphics and all that take time to load, and we don't, you know, it makes the, it take longer for you to find what you want. Now, everything is text, but at the same time, it's not just black and white text. There's all these colors. In fact, you break some design rules by having fonts different sizes and different fonts and different colors you're not supposed to, but they really play a role. How did you decide what to put out there? Originally, I must confess that uh, 
even part of our sparse look is due to the fact that you know we, we couldn't really afford a web designer and we were too lazy to spend a lot of time doing it ourselves. Uh, but as it has evolved, we've really worked to make uh, the design usable. Um, there are, are some design rules, uh, probably more kind of designer rules that we do break, but there are no usability rules that we break. Um, in fact, we have two different usability experts on our technical advisory board. Um, that's uh, Jacob Nielsen and Terry Winograd. Um, and in our font selections and uh, a number of the details of our interface, uh, we've actually carefully studied, you know, how do those, these fonts appear on, you know, the 10 most common platforms? Um, are they readable? Are they legible? Things like that. I was asking some questions, actually, the day before I tried Google and on the web. And um, it took a long time for things to come up. Depending on where I was, I got kind of different successful answers, or it was clear they didn't get it. Then I went to Google, and the first thing that hit me was how fast the answers came up. Does that have to do with the search engine itself, or does that have to do with the fact you don't have 15 uh, sections and ads and, and pictures? Well, it's, it's a combination of both. I mean, we we um, keep very careful track of how long the search engine itself takes. And the queries, uh, we average about a half second per query, which is very fast. But we also are very careful in our network traffic, you know, how we buy our network and where we put our machines and how we design our interface to make all those things fast as well. So we do, we, we pay a lot of attention to that. Now, how do you know somebody got the right answer and got out versus they, uh, they said, well, forget it and got out? I mean, we have some idea. We do collect like samples of what people click on and things like that. So that gives us some idea of whether we're doing a good job. But we also do our own internal testing where we take sort of a random sample of our queries and run them and, and try to analyze what happens. You know, is this likely to have uh, filled people's needs? Well, certainly if they never click through to one of the websites you offer, presumably they didn't get an answer. Well, it's not quite that simple. But, uh, it's never that simple no. with your voice. Everybody sticks with this interview. We'll learn that. Right. <laughs> okay, tell me about it. Well, I mean, it might be you got your answer in the actual search results themselves. Like, you might just be wondering whether something even sort of exists on the web. So you type a query and, you know, you get back five things and you, you scan them and you say, oh, it doesn't really exist. And that might make you happy, right? Um, or it might be you got your answer from the snippets we provide. Um, we try very hard to give you the right information on the search page itself. So we show you when your query matches um, in the document, we show you the matching parts of the document rather than showing you, you know, the first three lines or something like that. We actually show you the exact part of the document that matches your query. And that's very useful. A lot of times that can give you your answer. So you don't have to look at the document. Well, it, that is an interesting thing that, that uh, in terms of providing information. So I couldn't help myself. I typed in Tech Nation, <laughs> got a mere, you know, 3,700,000 responses. But <laughs> unlike a lot of other engines, instead of getting here's the, here's the name of the websites and little descriptions they did, I could tell by looking that maybe half of them or 40% of them weren't right because the context was wrong. And I could do that in a split second. I could do it in a scan. And that's sort of what humans are good at. So I, mean, I think that's part of what you're trying to do here is to figure out where's the human part and where's what can technology do. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Absolutely. And uh, we try really hard to produce the best search results, but then, you know, we can't always be 100% right. So we try to give you the best possible information for you to make your own choice. You're listening to Tech Nation, Americans and Technology. I'm Moira Gunn, and my guests today are Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the co-founders of Google, a popular search engine on the World Wide Web. Well, you know, Google's out, and it's getting some some fascinating reviews. But at the same time, people must have thought you were crazy when you said, we're going to build a search engine. Didn't people say, well, there's Excite, and there's Ask, and there's this, and there's that, and there's AltaVista. Why would you think you can leap in and build a search engine? Well, it was actually, that didn't happen because we already had one that was significantly better than anything else. So in fact, um, in September of 1998, when we started our company, we'd already been working on Google for several years. And we already had a working system that maybe 10,000 people a day used, and it was growing very fast. So in fact, um, everybody we approached to invest in the company said, yes, yes, I'd like to invest. And then we actually had to pick between them. Well, how could you possibly afford to sit down and write a search engine? We were both PhD students uh, at Stanford in the computer science program. And this is just you know one of the many things that we researched at the time uh, was you know Larry was collecting web data to see what he could do with it. And I was data mining, which means analyzing large amounts of data. And so we got together and we said, well, what can we do with this, this all this web data? And we did lots of things, actually. We played around with it in different ways. And pretty soon we realized that we had a pretty powerful application in search uh, for the technology that we developed and that it worked better than uh, the existing search engines at the time. And so then we went, went ahead and developed it further and tried to see how far we could push it. Now, everyone's going to want to know, what's the difference between what you guys do, besides just displaying mm -hmm. these characters somehow, and the other search engines? What's the difference? Well, inherently, it, it does go back to that data mining aspect. Uh, when Google looks at the World Wide Web, um, when we download all the content, it looks at all the content uh, as a whole. That means that the answers to your query depend not just on the pages that happen to match your search terms, but all of the pages on the web contribute to your search results. So essentially, uh, Google search engine learns from the entire web so that it can answer your specific queries. So what does it do? It takes all the text from the whole web? There are several different things it does in this uh, respect. Uh, one has to do with links, which is our first technology that we developed, and still one of the most important ones in our search engine. That's our analysis of the entire link structure of the web to figure out which web pages are the important ones, which ones would you want to see listed first. And in that situation, as I said, every single web page affects sort of the importance ranking of every other single web page. Uh, only to a very small extent. Other people have tried things like, you know, counting the number of links to a web page and things like that. Um, sort of simplistic techniques like that tend not to work. And we had to develop a fairly complex model for what people mean when they link from one page to another and what significance that should carry uh, in order to get a really accurate ranking. So are you tracing how people link or the fact that the link exists? Uh, the fact that the link exists, not 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 the people clicking on the links, but the webmasters who you know give careful thought about what they're going to put on their web pages, um, we look at that. Uh huh. Okay. Well, then what else do you look at? Um, on top of that, when Google examines a web page, we look at all the words on the page, exactly where they are, um, whether in the same sentences, close together, and so forth. Um, which things are in headers? 
uh, like uh, headings, I should say. And we even look at the text of nearby pages in sort of in the web space to get a better idea of what the page is about. And getting all of those factors to come together with the, the link-based computation, which we call PageRank, that's a hard process in itself. And we've worked hard to make that work well, too. Now, you can't sit down every time somebody asks a question and sort of load the whole web and scan it and figure out what's pointing to what. What do you do? Do you have it already loaded in, or do you uh -huh. check the web every day? What do you do? Yeah, well, actually, um, all search engines basically have to download the web regularly. So most people, I think, have this idea that search engines go out and they, they when, when you do a query, they go out on the web and they find what you want. And that's not really what happens. What really happens is, you know, over the past, you know, couple of weeks, they've been downloading the web. So we, we download, you know, the entire web or a good part of it. We download about 200 million web pages currently. And we store those on disk. So we have about um, 3,000 computers now where we store um, this chunk of the web and our index. And then we search that um, when you do a query. So you're building up a pretty pretty sophisticated index, and it's the index that you look at when I ask a question. That's right. Are these things that nobody ever did before? They never did it to the extent that we do it. The amount of information that's in our index is much more substantial than anyone else's. But all the other search engines build an index of some form, and that amounts to essentially taking the entire World Wide Web or whatever portion of it they index and sorting it, You know, going through and sorting all the text. And computer science, of course, what you, one of the things you study is sorting, and this is one of the largest sorts that you can do. So, do you have just take a long time? You have to do this all offline and then reintroduce it. Is that how that happens? Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it can be done in a matter of days. Um, it's not with three thousand computers in a matter of days. Yes, that's... you know they used to send people <laughs> to the moon with that kind of stuff, but now we <laughs> we just have a few Google references. Yeah. <laughs> now. There are inevitable comparisons between uh, you, you guys, and uh, Jerry Yang and David Philo, who were also graduate students at Stanford, and then uh, talked to the VCs. And Yahoo eventually came out of that. What's sort of different between the scenario or the the popular story of Jerry and David and you two? Um, well, let me start by telling you that uh, one major difference is that they came long before us. And we've had the fortune of learning from their experience. And we actually talked to David and Jerry from time to time. They've given us really great advice. Actually, David is part of the reason why we started the company. He encouraged us to start Google. That's right. Now, I think there are other differences. You know, uh, We're really focused on developing great technology specifically for search. Yahoo is a broader, much broader company. Also, in terms of our, our history, I think that Google was developed out of the research that we were working on at Stanford, Larry and I, uh, whereas I think Yahoo came out of, you know, trying to avoid working on research at <laughs> Stanford, <laughs> which, is, which is fair. I spent I think a lot of time doing that, David is going to get his too. degree, actually. But Jerry, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but anyway, I think there's, there's a lot of similarity in that Yahoo has always focused on quality in everything that they do. And that's that's something we've tried to imitate um, and tried to be quality, you know, in our website, in our hiring, um, in in every part of our business. You know, in terms of PhD candidates, uh, 
you have to publish. You have to publish to get your degree. Most people don't understand that. They think you write a dissertation, and do some research in the back room for a while, and finally your friends see you again, and you publish a dissertation, and you go through graduation. But part of it is you have to publish. And I know that you had individually and collectively published a number of research papers. Were they all on this type of methodology? Well, for myself, um, I, I published like a, probably over a dozen different papers in all different areas. But some of them were specifically on the technology uh, in Google. And I think particularly Larry and I published a paper called, I think it was The Anatomy of a Hypertextual Search Engine. Uh, a real and... seller of a name. Real seller. <laughs> yes, go on. <laughs> Academia, what can I say? <laughs> and is that close? That discusses the Google technology, or at least what we had back then. Um, in great detail, and people really thanked us because it was really the first paper that explained how web search engine works in the kind of detail that we went into it. Now, here we have it. You have to publish. What do you do about proprietary technology? I mean, where do you come down on that? Is this you just happen to be the first ones out there? Or are you trying to keep your techniques to yourself? One of the reasons we really started the company was that we didn't think that anyone was going to focus on search. And we had the benefit of talking with a lot of the search companies early on. And, you know, we realized and they said, oh, we don't really care about search. And we're like, that seems kind of crazy. You know, search is the number one application on the web, you know, and it's going to get much better. So we had sort of the computer science vision, I guess, that things weren't being done as well as they could be. So we see our long-term sustainable advantage is that we know how to do these things better than anyone else. And that means we hire lots of really smart people. And actually, the, the published papers have really helped us do that. You know, there's a lot of people in the you know, research communities that have read the papers, and they say, oh, these guys you know, are pretty smart, and they're doing interesting things. Maybe I should work there. Well, that, that's another thing that, that, to point out about how many smart people are around. Uh, you were mentioning that Terry Winograd and, uh, and Jacob Nielsen were on your advisory board. Who else is on your advisory board? Uh, we also have my advisor, uh, Jeff Ullman. And we also have Rajiv Matwani, both Stanford faculty who have been very, very helpful with Google. So you got to get smart people and just be out in front. Um, absolutely. We That's have a now... good plan on anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, for some things, it matters less than for others, truthfully. I mean, there are other kinds of websites, you know, if you're selling pet food online or something like that, you know, the technology is not as important. But in our case, it is very important. And we probably have close to 20 PhDs now um, on our team. We have about 100 total people in the company, and more than half are in engineering. And we have a research group that's a separate part of engineering, which is very unusual for a company our size. But going back to your question, I mean, there, there are two ways you can focus a technology company. You can try to develop internally your own technologies and keep them really secret and proprietary, which you know there are good reasons to do. Or you can try to, you know, push the technology really fast, tell lots of people about about it, um, get a lot of contribution to it, and uh, just drive faster than anyone else who is now, you know, reading what you've done um, and uh, trying to catch up to you. And I guess there's no reason the other search engines can't pay you for your technology. Um, that's, that's true. true. They, uh, um, they certainly could. Um, anyway, we haven't chatted specifically with them about it. Uh, as I said, I, we're pretty focused on, on keeping driving forward and rather spend my energy that way. My guests today are Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the CEO and president, respectively, of the popular search engine Google on the World Wide Web. 
I'm Moira Gunn, and you're listening to Tech Nation, Americans and Technology. Okay, so how big is a Googleplex? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, Google actually is 10 to the 100, so that's one followed by 100 zeros. And a Googleplex is 10 to the Google, so that's one followed by, you know, a Google zeros. So and where do you go from there? Um, it's kind of hard to say, I think. In the I think both Google-plicity are... universe. <laughs> I mean, I, Google was designed, I mean, it was coined by a mathematician's son. Nephew. Oh, nephew, sorry. Yeah. And the idea is that it's bigger than anything you can think of in the real world. So it's like bigger than the number of molecules in the universe or anything you can think of. Well, you know, this is another difference between you and Yahoo. <laughs> like everybody knows what Yahoo means. <laughs> How many people get the Google? I mean, is that something you have to kind of explain to people? Uh, you need to explain it to most people. Of course, most mathematicians know it. Well, um, I was an old math sort of, major, so yeah. I knew it. But Yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, so, so I think there are a fair number of people who use our site who do know it without even having to read it. But uh, probably more than half the people, we, we, we have to explain it. How did you decide to call it Google? Well, we, I was sitting around in my office at Stanford, actually, and we were looking, we were trying really hard to think of a name for the search engine. And we'd gone through like hundreds of things, I don't know, maybe more than that. And we, we somehow ended up looking at large numbers, and we got to Google, and we were like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. One is something that was sounded fun, like Yahoo does, and that'd be six letters or less and be fairly easy to remember and type. And so Google seemed to fit those criteria. Yeah. Also, the domain name was available. Yeah. That helped. I bet you there's a lot of domain <laughs> names out of math and physics that are available. Uh, I, I wouldn't be so sure these days. You'd be amazed at the kinds of things that are taken. Given the, you know, you're pre-IPO. You haven't gone public yet. It's still privately right. held. You've got your investors. Um, is there any rush to go IPO with all this crazy market? Well, I think to the extent you want to build a sustainable company, that actually slows you down with regard to IPO a little bit. The main disadvantage to IPOing is that it's harder to hire people. So if you expect, you know, your company to be a long-term um, sustainable corporation, which is what, what our goal is, um, we want to make sure we've got enough people and we've we've got our sort of ducks in order uh, before we go public. So that's probably the main reason not to. Um, we're actually very efficient with spending our money. We raised you know about twenty five million dollars, and Google has grown incredibly fast, you know about twenty five percent per month since we started, without doing really any marketing. Um, so our costs have been much much lower than a lot of other dot coms. So we have no, you know, immediate need for money either. Now, what's your uh, revenue model? Uh, we have two primary sources of revenue. Uh, the earliest one that we started out with is our corporate uh, co-brand revenue. So we have customers such as Netscape and the Washington Post and Red Hat and Virginet. And I think it's actually about 100 customers now. Um, and they OEM our search engine and provide it to their users on their site. And the second source of revenue, which we only launched last quarter, is our advertising on our own site. And a lot of people haven't seen it, actually, because we only ran it on a small percentage of, uh, of our search results. Uh, but the ads are unique in that they're text-based, so they're quick to load. Um, they're always targeted to your search topic. 
Uh, and we're really trying to provide a, a good experience for the user through the ad program by giving them even more useful information. Um, and the advertisers are very happy with that because you know now the users are interested in whatever it is they're showing them, and and the ads perform very well. They get a high click through. So your ads are minimalist too. That's right. That's yeah, as right. opposed to say, I like to contrast this with like a flashing drink coke ad, <laughs> which probably wouldn't relate at all to what you were searching for. So when people are searching for things, they're very demand driven. They want something in particular. So giving them an ad that's really related to what they're searching for is very successful. I think what you've just done is you've you you're, you've defined the swing of the pendulum. It's like it's it's coming back because people want it and they want it now. And we've put up with all of this time delay on the web, and they think, oh, when the bandwidth gets bigger, when the whatever. It's like you mean even with the current bandwidth, I can get it fast. I want it, you know. So I I think you you really touched on something there. Yeah, actually, even if the page loaded infinitely fast, there's still time that's needed for you to process what's on the page. And there's lots of research that shows this, but the more choices you have, the longer it takes for you to make a choice. What do you go to from here in terms of your research? Is there, is that, are you going to do more research or are you just so busy with your company? Um, well, we're getting more and more researchers on board. So I hope we're going to do more and more research. Uh, the way we view search is that a perfect search engine will be, uh, will we'll know everything and we'll be able to re relate your question to it perfectly, kind of like uh, HAL 9000, 2001. So, so your search oh, engine will be here yeah. for the interview the next time you come back? Yeah, that's, that's right. Ideally, only, uh, unlike HAL, probably we'll try to make it not kill you. Um, Thank you I very much, Sergey. <laughs> <laughs> not not <laughs> in general, the user. Could that bug worked out before you bring him in, if you would. <laughs> um, but uh, I think in general, search is an arbitrarily hard problem. And there's lots of work that remains to be done on it. And so when are you going to get your PhDs? Um, I actually, I still hope to get mine. Uh, and I think, you know, in a few years' time, I'll be able to take the time to do that. How about you, Larry? Yeah, I think so as well. Well, I think your experience may just warrant getting a PhD just for that alone. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it works that way currently. Yeah. <laughs> too bad. Too bad. Well, Larry and Sergey, thank you so much for joining me. And please come back and tell me what's, what's happening in, in a while. Thank you, Moira. Yeah. My guests today are Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the co-founders of Google, popular search engine on the World Wide Web at www.google.com. No one will deny that Google has had a profound effect on our everyday lives. And yet I also find that each of us takes away something different from listening to that interview. Is it that they had 3,000 computers? We call them servers now. And one unofficial count estimates that Google has nearly a million servers today. But still, with the capabilities of computers in the last 25 years, counting computers doesn't communicate the improvements in memory, processing speed, bandwidth, and algorithms, much less the operational dynamics of the global network. Surprising for me is that I can now peg exactly the date when I first used Google, and for that matter, when I first Googled Tech Nation. And if you notice the intros and outros, as we call them in the trade, Technation still had the tagline, Americans and Technology. Sometime, shortly thereafter, no doubt, we would simply become Tech Nation. With the Internet, suddenly everything was global, and everyone was connected to everyone. We weren't just talking to or about Americans anymore. Perhaps the best part 
is that it captures a 26-year-old Sergey Brin and a 27-year-old Larry Page. It captures their clarity of thought, their belief that they could strive to make the perfect search engine. And at their very core, they knew people want their search answers fast. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.